Welcome back to Working Class Fishing, everyone. I'm your host, John Morris. This episode of Working Class Fishing is being brought to you by CD Fishing USA, Sheer Cure, Naughty Tackle, Anadromous Fly Company, 317 Flies, Anger Rooster Fly Company, Lid Rig, and Max and Inflatables. This evening, I have the distinct pleasure of talking to a fellow Tennessean, none other than Mr. Ellis Ward. What is up, D? <laughs> What's going on, man? That was that was some good sponsor reading. Yeah, you you went into a radio voice there. <laughs> you should hear my ATC voice. It they might might get you a little. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the things that excite me these days are suspect at best. So, Dude, so. Ellis, I have been following you on Instagram for a while now. And the the one thing that stuck out to me before we kind of knew each other was you were prepping bucktail. And it was to me, I don't know if it I have like this dark humor, which I know I do, but it was just so real. You said something along the lines of like breathing heavy while you're hacking apart animals. And really all you're doing is like prepping bucktail so you can dry it and, you know, sustainably do it yourself. And uh, I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you did. And I, I think that some of what I say on, on YouTube or Instagram, whatever, um, along with things that I type, it's not for everyone, but if, man, if it lands for a couple people, <laughs> that's all I want. Um, yeah, that, that one in particular, I mean, you could probably see in the video that you can see my breath. Like I, I'm, I'm out in the shed in the backyard and it doesn't smell bad by the time things are dry. But, you know, when you're in there and, and you're you're getting into it, you got to find some ways to to smile and <laughs> and laugh about it. And I mean, I sold I sold some as, as for as much as forty dollars this year. Four well, zero. Dang, and, and I didn't uh, I, I didn't get it nearly as many as I, it's dude, it's pulling teeth which is insane. I'm, I'm, I'm offering to pay some of the, um, th this is just local, you know, country butchers and they just, they have a process. They're busy. They're doing thousands um, in the deer season is shorts and, and they're running. They're just burning the candle on both ends. So I didn't get it as many as I want. And then as a tire, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at these, you know, when I say six inch tail, I mean, you know, it's the majority of fibers are, are five and a half, six inches, just like, and they're beefy. And the amount of time that I put into them to make them to get the hide as clean as they are. And to, I actually, I legitimately use my, I know I, I made a joke about that, but I, I, I use my daughter's conditioner, conditioning spray. Um, and it makes, if you have bucktail or deer hair that's cooked and you, you can kind of see it, it looks a little shiny and crinkly. Yeah. I mean, 
I, I wanted to do a, one of those commercials. It's like, it's all black and white. It's like, is your hair dry and brittle? <laughs> like happy music and, and color? Like, yeah, just use, I mean, if you just wash deer hair bucktail with conditioner, it makes it soft and durable. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I put so much time in and I think that the guys that have purchased the bucktail in the past, and I, and I said something about it. I was just like, yeah, it's, you know, it's not cheap. Um, folks who have purchased it in the past, not only are the, the, the people, the customers of Flyzotics and folks who I've met on my boat, um, just awesome. And really, you know, they, they, patient, supportive, et cetera. Uh, they also just, they dig good bucktail. So those big ones, 30, 35, 40, and it, I, it was just a handful, but they went, those were gone. So I do, I'm very particular about it. Um, I got into all this stuff, bucktail guiding. Um, it, it started with time. So the, you know, and, and, and how I guide is, is how I love to fish. And the, the bucktail thing is like, how can, how can I, what else can I do to make this? Like, I, I want someone's jaw to drop. And again, it ain't going to be everyone. There's going to be a lot <laughs> of people notice it, but there's going to be a couple people who are going to get that tail, even if it's just one of the, you know, $12 regular ones, like that thing is as good but when it goes out of my door it, it is absolutely as good as I can make it and uh, yeah a lot of a lot of time in the shed <laughs> Ellis dude so you're in Tennessee um how did you get into fishing though man yeah I mean originally so before I can remember uh, going out with my mom up in Northern Michigan in uh, a little finger Lake. It's called torch Lake. It's like three, three finger lakes in from Lake Michigan. And that area, it's just, it's so fishy, but we would, you know, when I was a kid, we would go out and just troll the, you know, it's called Torch River. There's a little bit of a current running through it, but it's just, you know, it's a, a, a causeway, a connection point between uh, the second Finger Lake and, and Torch Lake. So we would just troll that for smallies. And then once I was able to, to go out on my own with my little cousin, um, we would drop worms down under the bridge and catch perch and little smallies. And um, then we started going out on the lake and, um, you know, chucking, chucking stuff instead of just trolling it. And at, at the time I wasn't doing a whole, that sort of like pre-adolescent age. I got, I got into BMX. I was playing a lot of soccer. Um, I, I started getting back into fishing somewhat lightly uh, I would say late teens, early twenties. And that was mostly because I was, um, 
my, I lived, my, my mom lived on a river, the little Miami and outside of Cincinnati. And uh, I mean, there's white bass runs. We would normally just, you know, chuck the same Rapalas and, and soak cut bait and get whatever came about. A lot of catfish, a couple of snapping turtles, that whole deal. <laughs> and, and yeah, most of it was just because I was living there and it, you know, it was basically out the front door. And then we'd also float the, the river a lot and, you know, fish out of canoes. So that, that took a backseat to college in, in every respect of that activity word period of time. And it, it was while living in DC, and this is kind of weird for people that aren't familiar with the area, but the, the Potomac is tidal, it, it, but it's freshwater. And you, you get runs of stripers up it. And, you know, the, the upper Potomac, as it's called, which is basically just above the last big drop in Great Falls is, uh, you know, you, you can wait it, great smallmouth fishery, gets super pushy real fast. But I, you know, I, was, I was going out at work. The, the writing became pretty clear on what was going to happen when I was, I was going out at work and taking calls from the John boats uh, that you can, or from the rowboats that you rent from Fletcher's Cove during the shad run. And, you know, you're just fishing these things on a little five weight. Um, and, and I, you know, I would go there for lunch and then end up staying there and <laughs> just, just doing meetings and calls for three or four hours while, while fishing that shad run. So I, I was fishing bass for, you know, smallies, largemouth, waiting for, for stripers for a good year before I ever got into the, the trout fishing. And yeah, when I, when I found that it was, it didn't replace, but, but it was an awesome, I mean, it was just this whole, I mean, then, and I had done saltwater at that point too. So it was just this, holy shit there's a lot there's a lot here yeah and and i was i was getting into tying at that point too and when i this is five so i, I stopped drinking march 26 uh, so a little more than five years ago when when that happened when and then my daughter was born in May, no coincidence between those two things. Um, yeah, things really, things really took off. Uh, understandably, yeah. Both, both with tying and fishing, it was just I was I was getting to be pretty all in at that point. But those were those were two things, and then you know some of the people that I met along the way, Richie from from District Angling, and just that shop in general. Uh, you know, I, I was in, I was in a pretty, pretty bad place there for a couple of years and having some of that solitude out on the water and, 
you know, re reflecting on it obviously now is interesting and you get a different perspective on some of this stuff, but call it an escape, call it safety, whatever that was, being able to go out and fish almost anywhere if you do some diligence. Um, and then having that fly shop with, you know, 10 minutes away, um, kind, kind of kind of safe places for me for a couple of years. So pretty, <laughs> got a little, got a little heavy there at the end, but. Um, oh, no, dude. That's, no. that's kind of, that, that's been the, the arc. It's always been, you know, fishing as a, as a, an activity has always been there. And then it really made its way into my life and became front and center, um, you know, late twenties. So is that how you ended up in Tennessee? Uh, yeah, more or less. So, so we, you, I, I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, I, I can get into to that journey. I mean, dude, it's completely up to you. If if you want to share, go ahead. And if you don't, yeah. you don't have to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, a lot of this, it, 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 can, it can be tough to convey the importance of one thing or another in however many characters a person actually reads on an Instagram post, not to mention the, the words and letters that I'm choosing to type. I don't know what that ratio might be, but maybe <laughs> reading the first line or two. So it, it's cool to be able to talk to someone um, and, and kind of share, you know, to folks listening, kind of share a little more about what's, what's behind all those pictures that I've, I've spent too long learning how to take. So I was in, I was in DC working uh, an office job doing sort of data analytics at that point. That, that's what I had started doing at, at that point. I joined a startup. It had been eight years. We had gone public. It was starting to get, it was starting to get a little doing things to, to make sure we we're meeting public numbers, making Wall Street happy. Um, it's very normal stuff for, for big businesses. And it felt very shitty to me because effectively it came down to laying people off or deciding certain projects to take based on profitability versus based on you know, the, the company mission, which again, that's just business. You, you can't make it through life as a, a public, publicly traded company if you're just doing everything because you think it's cool. Yeah. So <laughs> having experienced a few periods of time that Man, when, when you're in a company and, and there's been a layoff and there might be another one soon and then pretty soon it's it's clear that there's another one coming, it's not warm and fuzzy. Things things get pretty dark and just just the mood is 
it makes a stressful environment even worse. And so there, there were three or four of those over the course of, I don't know, as, as many quarters, so maybe over the course of a year. And I, I had developed a, a tool that allowed us to figure out a bunch of different stuff about the cost profile of our company and different projects. And it was being used to effectively figure out how much they could save by, by firing people. And after, yeah, after the third or fourth, I, I, I kind of did, did a, a volunteer myself for the next one. And I was still, you know, I was, I was pretty close with some people there. So I, I was able to, gracefully uh, exit and my then wife now ex-wife was she she grew up in kind of farm country outside of buffalo so she wasn't by any means interested in staying in dc and plus we just had the the kid um so we had about two months to figure out what we were doing. And my family's in Cincinnati. She's pretty close with them. We had a two-year-old. So we kind of just started looking. I, I knew I wanted to do something around tying, fishing. I didn't know if it was going to be guiding, but I knew that that was an option. Um, and we just kind of started looking at blue dots, as crazy as that sounds. And getting to the Tennessee, you know, East Tennessee. Well, that, you know, that, as you know, can probably be categorized as Knoxville over. So getting to Northeast, North Far East Tennessee, Johnson City, Bristol, and even some of the North Carolina stuff, but down through Chattanooga, looking at these different reservoirs and the rivers and reading up on them. And the, the, I definitely, you know, let's make this top two or three was reading about these, you know, the Hiawassee, Chicago, um, a bunch of these rivers where within an hour you're fishing for muskie and, on that river that you're fishing, you're catching browns and stripers, and within 20 minutes in every direction, there's trophy smallmouth. It's just like, how have I not? I'm five hours away, and I haven't heard about this area. So it was a little bit of a, still kind of is a sleeper, which I'm cool with. The South Holston, of course, isn't, but. Um, no. <laughs> the Soho is definitely not. No, and um, yeah, that's I. The Watauga is just the Watauga is my jam. Um, the Soho, I I had seen the Watauga, and I really I had heard of the South Holston, but it just it wasn't as interesting. And then um, you know, fishing, seeing the Watauga, the Lower Watauga for the first time, was, absolutely knew this was going to be the place where I was staying. So, um, you know, proximity of family in, in Cincinnati is about five hours, a couple of different pieces of 
real life that went into the decision-making process, but, you know, I landed here three years ago and, you know, nothing was permanent. We were renting pretty quickly, got divorced. Um, but neither of us had roots here and there was, there was a lot of, I mean, with, with everything going on there, start of COVID, yeah. there was a lot of uncertainty uh, about, about where we, I, uh, what, what combination of that was going to end up where, and if it was going to be here and, you know, J Johnson city is a great place for if, if you're not into big cities, um, it's, it's big enough. There's enough stuff here and, and good schools and the people, the culture, the, the speed with which folks run here is, it was just, it was a massive breath of fresh air relative to DC. And yeah, we, we were ready for that. And it just, it continued to be a place that uh, felt more and more like home. And now it's, now it's home office interest, fun um, for the foreseeable future. Oh yeah, dude. Well, that's really, first off, that that's a lot to unpack. Yeah, yeah, man, that was a lot. But, and I, I don't mean that in like a bad way, it's just, that's a, that's a lot that, that happened. And to, be where you are now. I'm just, I'm glad that you are. Yeah. Um, well, I, I appreciate that. And it's, it hasn't been easy and it hasn't been, you know, at many times it has not been graceful and At very few times has it been with absolute certainty or confidence. So, you know, it's it that that stuff continues to become things continue to become more certain, obviously. It, it takes switching careers, coming to a new place, um, just the guiding industry, which is completely different, yet also very similar to the tying industry. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that you have to get through and, and some stuff get passed or elect to not partake um, in order to kind of find yourself um, if you do want to do that, it, you know, the, the other option being work for someone else or adopt someone else's way of doing things. Um, so yeah, man, it, it's, it, it's last year or so has been good. I'd say last six months or so has, has been, continues to be better and better. Um, prior to that, 
and especially the first year and a half, it was really hard. Uh, yeah, no, no kidding. And so do you work for an outfitter or are you just, um, so how does that work for you? Uh, no, I, I, I am the owner and operator of Ellis Ward Guide Service. And yeah, so I I knew, I knew that I wanted to, to work for myself and that, that's been the whole, one, one of the driving and, and motivating factors was to do things the way I want to do them with, with the idea being that. I know other people and early in my fishing life and now career met enough people so quickly that absolutely are in love with fishing in a way that most outfitters don't necessarily specialize in. Uh, And largely I think it's because it's unsustainable and not profitable. So there's not really any way around that. You, you, you can't be geared up and trained and spend the time that I do on the water as an outfitter. You can't have every guy doing that. You can't have everyone with conventional gear for spin and bay casters and, you know, multiple rods and reel configurations all with different line backup spools from three weights to 12 weights and have any semblance of organization or profitability it's been hard as shit to do it as one person Uh, and and that's been a lot of it can seem fun because it's just fishing but uh, to, to be able to know this area comfortably enough to guide and, and also guide people that really want to fish, not, not just go out and, and catch a couple fish. Um, and, uh, you know, I'll shit on nymphing a little bit, but that's, that's not that one. I'm not really being serious. I, cause I did that for, you know, I, I nymphed for trout for a long time. Yeah. Uh, it, it's more of the, of the, I mean, these tailwaters, even the South Holston, they're just, if you give them a different look, if you give them a look like, yeah, there's reservoirs on the top and the bottom, but these are old wild rivers and they have monsters in them. And they also have a bunch of beautiful wild trout and insane insect hatches. And they're unpredictable and in in even with the generation schedules it's just if this is happening one day it's not happening the next if you just give that perspective and you know when when i have guys saying what's the plan i'm just saying i have no idea it can be the day before and and we can there's a plan but it's like what specifically are we going to do yeah a couple weeks ago i was i was saying if we did this run 
at this time, it'll probably end up being about 50-50 dry flies and streamers. If we did this run at this time, maybe 70-30 streamers. Um, and then we ended up fishing, and that top run was 100% streamers. We didn't see any rising action, despite having seen it the day before. And then we ended up fishing both, did the bottom run, and then it was almost all dry flies. So, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but um a, a lot of it's just yeah just going out there and um you know to, to get back to some part of your original question and, and it being just me to go out there and just have the game plan be we'll see what's happening and be not only excited about that and confident that we're gonna be able to figure something out but ex excited to have people who are excited for that. I mean, that, that type of thing takes time and it's word of mouth and it's kind of building my own brand because a lot of the fishing around here is not that. It's, it's a tailwater environment. If you fish tailwaters before, you, you can catch fish here. Um, but to have the, you know, this, the specific knowledge and be able to target and just fishing in the way that I do, which I think translates to so many other types of fishing and fisheries. Um, yeah, it, it's taken, it's taken a lot of work. So, and I'm, I'm super stoked to see you, you posting pictures of clients and stuff too. Like that, that makes me happy when, um, cause guiding is not easy. Um, I did it part-time and just like weekend stuff when I was in college and uh that was a lot of work it was a lot of work so I couldn't imagine doing it every day full time you know and I, I like to pretend and lie to myself and be like yeah I would love that but I don't I don't know I liked the part-time thing but I don't know if I would enjoy doing it full time so how do you how do you keep it fresh? Is it just the the people, or is it that that want to get people on fish, or what what keeps you going back day after day? Well, there's. I'm going to answer that question in two different ways. One, the the hunger and the what keeps me going back is right now i i'm i'm not going back day after day um i i don't have enough trips to get burnt out so the the real one of the harder parts is to not feel completely out of my mind when it's a week or two or three bet between trips and I'm still trying to figure out one thing or another. And then in between, you know, trying to, to gap fill so I can pay bills. Um, but, you know, guiding during, during the busy times. And I mean, this last week, three days of, really challenging conditions at at this point and it had been it had been you know two and a half weeks since my last trip and another two and a half weeks before 
you know, since the previous trip. So part of that was just like, I don't give a fuck what we're looking at. These dudes are going to wreck some fish. I, I really, I don't care how long we're out. Um, I just, I haven't, I, I've worked too hard and I have too much knowledge. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm good at what I do. And it just, it feels like when I, when I'm getting trips now with guys who are, they're not, they're not coming to the South Holtz and they're not coming to the Wataga. They're coming to me and saying, let's fish. And when I get that client, um, I was, I was joking with a friend saying, I don't, I don't know if I feel bad for this dude or if he's lucky, but you know, it's first trip in a couple of weeks for me. Like it's not going <laughs> to be hours. Um, yeah, I, I, the, during the guiding and during the busy times, there, there's two, two big things that keep me excited and, and I, I hope it'll always be the case. I, I imagine it will be just because of how I approach fishing when things get boring or when there's, I don't know, any, any sort of stale feeling, there's something else to do. Uh, if, if you're open to it, there's always something else to do. Be it the same fish, same river, same time of day, same everything. You can, there is something else to do or, you know, different types of fish. So, so those two things are watching people learn. And I think I take it for granted a little bit because of how much I'm out on the water and how much I'm trying to figure out fly design and rod configurations and which line and leaders and all that stuff. And when that gets, when someone's on my boat and that gets distilled into a 10 minute conversation and them just going through and doing what I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah, of course they've never heard or felt or seen that because they're, they, they are not living this, what feels like to, at times completely insane life of dedication to fishing. They're, they're, they have a job, they have a family. And so when they get out and they just, you know, they get this download from me and, and start to see things that I'm talking about or see things and, and feel them and, and see them in person that maybe they've seen a video of or they've heard me ramble about um, the the light bulb moments of just like I can see it in people's casts I can hear it now which is really starting to sound a little spooky but person in the back seat when when we're switching from one fly to another and talking about air resistance in the dungeon, even though it has lead eyes versus no air resistance in a peanut and changing out the leader configuration on hair bugs to get more action. You can hear it in the strips and you can hear it in, uh, in their casting when, when they're feeling one thing or another. And that that's, I mean, I have goosebumps right now. That stuff is, I think it's it's so fresh for me because I one am relatively new. Uh, again, I, I hope that's always yeah. um always doing new stuff. But um, you know, two, it's 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 watching this stuff that was it's taken a lot of time for me to learn. Yeah. So just offload. I, I think there's a certain degree of like, hey, look. 
I've, I've added value. Um, but a lot of the stuff that I'm watching and, and teaching, casting, fly selection, tying related, it translates one-to-one in, in catching a fish and in eliciting a strike and translating that strike to a fish in the net. And there's, there's so much shit between those two things. Um, so just having, having the, those aha moments and seeing these light bulbs go off, I'm, I'm just sitting here thinking like, dude, this, this guy is going to get ruined in two hours. <laughs> really, it's such a bizarre thing to want so bad. But that, that is why I'm up late the night before and why I'm up early the morning of is I want someone to look back at me with this. It's a weird like fear and surprise and elation when a two foot trout eats their fly. Like I want that for every single client that I have. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes, sometimes that means a lot of casting instruction. Uh, yeah. In other times, it, it's reminding and feeling like a drill sergeant and just, you know, reminding them one thing or another because you really you can't let your foot off the gas. And, and sometimes it can feel like perfectionism, but, you know, I don't want to bow in the line coming downstream when a monster comes up and eats that because. You have to set the hook. So all, all of that stuff, I've watched it enough. I didn't know I'd like this so much. I mean, it's not like I was guiding and then I, and then I decided to be a guide. Yeah. Uh, but but seeing those light bulbs and then watching people catch big fish and, and also just hearing them and staying in contact with them and getting pictures and you know, having them send me questions about tying, like, all that stuff. I mean, I, I explained how important and in a lot, I don't want to be cliche, but that was, that was a tough time in my life. Um, I know we talked about this a little on the phone call, but I, I'd either not be here. Or I, I'd be very different if it weren't. Yeah. And so to be able to share that, even if it's just for six, seven, eight, nine, 12 hours on the boat um, to be able to share that and also share just this area and these rivers. Um, I, I, I can't get enough of it. And dude, I've got to say, I really am glad you're here. I'm glad you're, you're here and uh, not all jacked up. Well, maybe a little jacked up, but not, not beyond the, the LS we know. Um, so you tie for musky fool you guide, you're doing all this cool stuff. So, and, and you can row and fish by yourself, which is, uh, I can barely fish by myself, much less row and fish by myself. So um, prop, props on that, dude. So what, so you've got muskie, you've got all these like good predator fish. You got like smallies, largies, trout, all this stuff. Like relatively, I mean, really awesome fisheries. Hell, I mean, you even got like rookie streams and stuff up there, dude. Like southern strain, uh, 
Appalachian brookies, and they're gorgeous. Um, what has been like some of your most memorable experiences or or fish just out there on the river since you've been uh, in Tennessee? That's a great question. I'm going through the the Rolodex has gotten pretty stuffed, so. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be yours, like uh, even if it's yeah, no, you know, it's not, dude. My mine are, I mean, a, a lot of some of my my fondest memories, or at least the strongest and most positive memories, are days that involved either little or no fish catching um so two things come to mind one is um my stepbrother which we we both dislike the the step part of that but he, he's been my fishing buddy since you know since we were kids and he's actually coming as a paying client <laughs> it up to him for that for the support um thank you will so he was here my first year and we we went out i was already pretty fully sick for streamers by the time i, I was i had moved here and i had boated some really nice fish and brown trout and striper and we went out he, he hadn't really done anything with the fly rod at that point we we did some streamer fishing and you know he, he got an eat from a brown trout off the bank which for people that aren't familiar with like casting a streamer from a moving boat and like he just he doesn't really fly fish so for him it's like he's an athlete he, he wants to be good at stuff. Um, it was really hard. And like, it's really hard for me to describe to someone that it takes other, a lot of people, you know, months and months and months, if not longer to do what he just did. So he had asked me, it's like, well, how, how do you do this for, I mean, you're out here for 10 hours a day on your own. And I gave him a spinning rod. I was like, just, you know, take a little break. That's how you keep doing it. So he had, he, he kept doing that. Um, we were out for 13 hours that day and that, that spinning rod was his and, and he brought it cause he knew that I had broken mine and uh, was on his way and had forgotten his at his buddies and stopped at a gas station and got a $25 rod real line combo. <laughs> and nice. at 1 30 in the morning he i'm back rowing. We're, we're down in the lake section after floating through the river and i'm sort of back rowing from one cove to another and he kicks his this guy's six five so he's sitting on the front of the boat with his feet kicked up basically you know taking over half of the the 14 and a half foot drift boat <laughs> With, with a six foot rod, which, you know, 
you're you're used to looking at something like seven and a half, eight uh, with a, a guy who's who's not six five. So it just it looks like he's holding, you know, a, a permanent marker size thing in his like <laughs> it looks like a toy. And he he's starting to chirp at me, telling me to go faster uh, because he wants his he's, he's fishing uh, a deep diver. And he wanted, he didn't think it was at the right depth. And I mean, we're, we're both a little slap happy and he's just giving me a hard time. Um, and ended we, you know, five, maybe 10 minutes later, we, we were boating a 34 inch striper. And I mean, dude, that rod, it looked Everything was straight except for the the last like five inches of the tip that was just at like ninety degrees. Fishing <laughs> six pound uh, mono that was all wound up, you could hear the the reel has gear, you know, drags. This yeah. was this was like clunking. It was like there's plastic cogs that weren't really synced up right. Uh, I I couldn't fucking believe any of that. So that was. And, you know, that was my first couple months here. And um, he he has since boated, you know, two foot brown. The, the kid's super fishy. But that was that was one, one of the first um, let, let's be a hero, at, you know, tail end, middle of the, the late night, mid morning. Um, massive fish on gear that they can't handle it. And another, and this one's this one's a little shorter, but um, arguably more meaningful was a guy last year contacted me, and he he ended up coming out to fish with me, and he he had been on the road, uh, coming back from Colorado, he he had been he and the guys here were with had been skunked. For I think two days was on the Henry's. Four. Um, yeah, I was starting to hesitate. I couldn't remember if it was that or I'm pretty sure it was. There was a big hash. It, it just it wasn't happening. Fish weren't rising. They just they couldn't get a fish to eat. And he was coming back through. He had been following uh, my Instagram account for a couple of years, and just decided. He, you know, he was going to be passing by Johnson City and was just like, he needed to, he was Jones and he needed to get it fixed. And at that point, it was pretty cool because I, I talked um, guy, good friend of mine and uh, occasional therapist, Matt Riley up in Virginia, kind of, he's, he's like a year or two ahead of me on this curve and um, of starting your own deal and he's, he's also a number of years younger, but he was just saying that the whole, it takes time thing really starts to snowball because there's just so many people that so many of his good clients, they, they came through two, three years after knowing who he was. So it's not like this whole, Oh, the, I've heard of this guy. I'm going to go give him $600 and fish with them. Yeah. A day or two. And so this was like, oh shit, this is exactly what Matt was saying. That's really cool. And we went out. Uh, it was, you know, the, a day or two later. And 
we had a nice fish eat a dry fly after going through a lot of different casting practice and the dry fly in particular was a design of one of my buddies from the local shops like all, all of these little pieces were kind of falling together and um by the time we were done he he i mean before he was talking about it before the end of the trip but by the time that we were parting ways um he had already booked four more days no shit yeah um I mean, thinking of that, and that—that's—that's that's Daniel. I have another client, Brian. Who's just they—they. It it starts to make me feel a little choked up because, the, it it's a lot of trust and a lot of faith, but. The immediate I want to come back. Is. It's so clear that they they saw what's going on and yeah. it's hard to describe that you know it's hard to bottle it up you can't do it in a, a post it, it's hard to do with video and so when you know when I've, I've had that happen uh, a number of times now but that was that was the first one that was so strongly it has so little to do with oh, we caught a bunch of fish and so much to do with that was fucking awesome. Yeah. And, I mean, make no mistake about it. I want the, the awesome part to include, you know, some, something very awesome uh, with, with the big fish on the end of the line. But, but for some of these people coming through where, They're just, they're seeing, you know, we're doing streamers, dry flies, going into mice, you know, fishing topwater with gear. The, the ones that are, are getting off the boat after a, a long day, because I, I, I do prefer to have folks be a little wobbly by the time we get to the <laughs> For the ones that are just like, I, I want, I want more. I want to come back. Um, that's how I feel all the time, even when I'm out on my own. And even, even when I'm exhausted, it's just, it's, it, there's so much to do. There's so much fun here. So, um, it, that's the, the opposite of a good fish story, but, um, that, no, that but that's, but that's fishing. awesome though. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like, that's why you, you know, that's like why you do it, man, is, is, it's not always about the fish. In fact, I, I'd wager to say most of the time it's really not about the fish. It can't be. And if you look at, now I, I referenced Matt a lot. I, I just seen Pat Dorsey put something up about, I don't know, some bird. Um, you look at <laughs> you look at posts and stories from these guys, or you listen to. Um, you know, Tommy Lynch, um, Larry, you, you, you talk with these folks and they're, they're talking a million miles an hour about a hundred different things. And a lot of it has to do with fishing and a lot of it has to do with catching fish. 
But if that's all there is to it, then you're going to be in for a really stressful life because one, you're missing a lot of the good stuff. And two, I don't care if it's nymphing, dry flies, streamers, throwing gear. Dude, sometimes they're not eating. And so if you're, if you're banking on that as not only your happiness, what you enjoy, but also your, your reputation as a guide and as a successful angler, if you're banking on the, the feed being on, uh, <laughs> some days are going to be hugely disappointing and I don't know, man. I mean, you, you have, I think the good guys out there, you have fun with them and, and you learn a lot and you go home with stuff and you end up on one of those blue lines for brook trout or fishing a smallmouth stream and you're, you're doing stuff. I, I do stuff now that I learned from saltwater guides and, and I both angling and as a guide, like these things that these guys did, you know, either told me or um, inadvertently did to me as as i was a client then um i I think that's the yeah that's that's absolutely why you do it so do you i've never fished the salt other than a trip when i was very young and way before i fly fished um dude like what's your what's your experience with the salt i mean is it is it one of those like if if you could do it I mean, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at here really is if you have the choice and option to pick between what you're doing now or doing it in the salt, what do you, what do you think you'd do? What I'm doing now. And, and I, I only say that with any semblance of confidence because after I went to the salt for the first time with the fly rod, I was worried when I got home, when I got back to DC and, and my next fishing was going to be a spring Creek for brown trout. Yeah. I was legitimately concerned that it wasn't. Gonna be there. And it's happened multiple times since, and I've had some great days fishing salt. Um, I think a lot of how I fish takes from that. It's, it can be challenging. You, you're looking for fish, you know, throwing, throwing streamers. You're not depending on the section of the river, time of year, other stuff. Um, you're not always just looking for, for the big fish, but um, you're doing something that's hard and, and it requires patience and it requires a lot from me. It also requires a lot from the anglers. And so, so there are some similarities there and, and the payoff that's, I think, what, what concerned me a lot because being able to, to sight cast and feed and, and properly keep your wits about you and set into a big redfish and, you know, having that swirl and then you see 15 others that you didn't know were there push all around the boat everything's mud you see swirls everywhere and your line's just taking off uh, 
thankfully you picked your left foot up because you had been stepping around a loop you missed the basket and all that stuff and yeah it's, just, it's so fast it's so intense it's so powerful um everything about it and then you know that's over and all of a sudden if, if you're stopping for a couple minutes to take a picture and you know, do one thing or another. It's it's been ten minutes of tide moving, and I, I've been fortunate enough to have found some really good guides, John Irwin and, and Charleston, uh, David White down in Anne Maria. But it, it's this like multi-dimensional, based on angler and season and tide and what they've seen, and should we be going to this oyster bed and um it, it's it's so complicated and and for me you know looking at how i approach this river and my knowledge of this river which is is deep in in all different conditions and water levels and all that i i go to it feels like i'm i'm fully in client mode where i want to go and fish with these guys now because I'm not even going to pretend to want to know that much about what is happening. I ask a million questions, but the the level of knowledge that these guys have is um, it's cool to watch and it's cool to see. But I definitely thankful the first time that I got back and had a you know twelve inch trout come out and smash some olive bug on the end of a fly line i was like all right that's still fun as shit um that that remains to be the case you know that that's that's always it's always happened and whenever i come back especially here it just it feels like home i love rivers so there's you doing a lot of musky trips or is it mostly trout right now yeah, it's mostly trout right now. This winter, and one of the reasons that having one trip over five weeks hurt so much recently, because that was you know that was kind of the norm, especially the first couple of years, stung so much is because a lot of my guys that I fished with over the summer and fall knew that I tied and fished for musky, and I've been fishing for them hard for for three years now here and and exploring the, the handful of different watersheds we have around here uh they were interested and i really wasn't planning to to throw my hat in that ring just because as you know there's the 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 clickiness the drama the all, all things guiding and tying um, has an exclamation point on it when you get to muskie. But I just figured that I'd, I'd float it to the guys who'd been out with me and, and, I, was, and I was comfortable with. And, you know, I, a, after I was seeing enough fish and and boating them on my own and as much as one can pattern uh, both fish and bait 
in, in a few different areas. I was just, I was feeling like I'm, I'm looking around and there's, there's a lot of other places that are running trips. And I know that, I know that folks aren't fishing those waters cause I am, and I don't see anyone. Um, I just figured why the hell not? Um, not that I should be comparing myself to one person or another, but it was just, yeah, kind of a light bulb moment for me of this. You want to do something, you can do it. So why are you, why are you waiting? It, it, it's never going to be perfect. And next year, it, you can convince yourself that it's better to wait till the year after. Yeah. So um, that is rowing and fishing yourself on musky water is uh, a daunting prospect and I did a lot of it and uh, I had a lot of days of not seeing anything so when I started to you know see see fish and, and hone in on on sections and I, I fished you know big rivers French Broad, Nolichucky, um, the clench from Norris all the way down below Melton and, and all of the stuff in between. And so to be able to, on my own, not just through reading, to be able to, because there's, there's really not much data, but to be able to, to pick the, the, the couple sections on a few of the different bodies of water that I'm comfortable guiding and, and go out and have two people casting. 100% of the time, not worrying about the anchor or not wanting to experiment with some game changer they just tired, tied, which is me when I'm out fishing. It's just, it's not efficient. So when I have those dudes, I mean, we went, the first four trips I had, we, we were moving um multiple fish the first couple trips which which for me you know it's just dude even even moving a fish sorry i didn't mean to cut you off but even moving a fish is a good thing you know it, it's part of that part of that feedback loop exactly and so i i of course always want it you know i i want both of them to get a mid-40s fish right um even even if we got some smaller fish, I I still want it's you know put it back the feed windows open let's go. Um, but those first couple trips, <laughs> the the prospect of not seeing a fish is real, and so to have four in a row of seeing fish and um, you know get the first trip. A, a guy had never seen a muskie and he got eight and it was just like, Oh man, it just felt so good. Um, and then <laughs> one of, one of my OG trout fishing clients had, had a, you know, the, the size of your leg next to him at the boat. And, um, you know, we, we weren't able to convert that one, but, but having having a guy who's just put so much faith and, and financial stability 
into my life um, over the last couple of years to get a fish at his feet that was half the size of him was um, that was pretty special. I, I did, I think on the sixth or seventh, got my first front to back blank. And I was like, yeah, I know. I knew this is going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's bound to happen in that game, especially. It's sucked but, up. <clears throat> but dude, still, that's like, that's really good. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it goes to, well, it, it goes to the amount of fishing that I've done on my own and how inefficient that is. And so it, I, I can start to, um, you know, tie this back into a lot of the, the guiding and I don't know, the, watch, watching some people that, and, and some of the folks that don't guide or don't fish that much at all, if, if you have, there's a point, there's critical mass where if you have enough people putting flies in water where fish are, if, if you have enough people doing that, you are going to get big fish. Yeah. Gonna, it's just going to happen. And so once, once you reach critical mass, I would say unless you're a lazy piece of shit, but we all know <laughs> I out there who continue to um, book a lot of clients and, and maybe not be the best people. Um, yeah, unless you're really screwing something up, if you have a lot of clients, they don't even need to really be good at casting. If you have a lot of folks and you have a lot of flies in water, uh, I mean, that's the the number of blanks I took and then going four trips in a row of, of moving fish and two eating flies. It, it's the, 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 the type of presentations that you're getting, especially for muskie, the type of presentations that you're getting and just having something moving in the water. Once you, once you start getting more and more people there, there's just a fish is going to end up in the boat. Eventually. And, yeah. At some point. Yeah. And, and it just, it's just a matter of time. And so only, you know, only having seven, is just like, I, I, li I like to look at the, the silver lining, the, I mean, the, the, the main takeaway is, is that not even planning to do that and respecting the dudes who do it well so much and just respecting that type of fishing so much. Um, that just, that felt good. Um, and, and for trout, kind of the same deal. I, I think that a lot of the, a lot of my stuff's going to be word of mouth. A lot of my stuff's going to be people listening to this podcast and, you know, it, it's going to resonate with some people. I, I think for a number, it, it won't. Well, dude, you're, I mean, you're fishy as, I mean, let's, you're, you're, you're fishy, dude. You're incredibly fishy. <laughs> So I hope people can listen to this and um, I mean, they're not, they're not going to see it, but you know, it's, I mean, it's very real. You're, you're good at what you do, man. And I, I don't, I'm not just going to say that. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I, I, I appreciate your, 
allowing me to to talk about all of this stuff and um man be, being able to show show people some of that fishiness is pretty cool and there's also a lot i continue to learn from everyone on my boat um so it just i i want i want that critical mass to look a little different for me and uh you know, not, not actually rely less on, on posts and, and, you know, not, not have to use the more and more trips equals more and more fish. It's just, it's stats, but not have to use that and just keep, keep spreading the word um, through the, the cool memories and, you know, those, the spooky follows that we didn't get on film. You know, all, yeah, all, all, all dude. dude, that's, uh, I mean, I mean, I want to book a trip with you now. <laughs> When's the next time you're fishing? Uh, well, hopefully this, not this weekend, one of six flags or something this weekend. Um, hopefully next weekend. Are the have the temps been up enough? Uh, I mean, yeah. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm originally from Tennessee, but uh, Texas now. So temp, temps have been pretty good for a while. Um, we've been getting a lot of cold fronts, a lot of, a lot of rain, a lot of rain, dude. Um, yeah. But water for for bass, I presume. Uh, gar, bass, I, I fish trout in Arkansas. Um, really excited about the gar. Uh, yeah. finally starting to move back up river. Like, um, you're gonna have to talk to me about that. Dude, we're getting, uh, we're getting our bait, our baits finally coming back up river. And we've been needing that desperately. So, um, it's pretty sick. I'm super stoked for that. Rope flies? Uh, dude, rope flies 100%, but uh, stripers and hybrids eat eat rope flies. So um, I'll, I'll definitely definitely hit you up um, after this, and we can kind of chat about some of that. Yeah, sure. But, Ellis, uh, we're coming up on our hour, actually. Okay. Um, where can people find you? Where can people get a hold of you and book trips or just get in contact with you? Yeah, I, I want to emphasize the the latter part of that because I've had a couple people reach out and I say this all the time in my fishing reports with the articulate fly and on my videos you know the handful i put out on youtube when you say get you know contact me i'm being 100 percent serious when it, if you have questions about like tying streamers or deer hair or weighted line or fish and dry flies or what hatches are like or your home waters um or these waters i will talk your ear off you're gonna have to hang up on me Calm <laughs> 
call me, email me. Um, I, until until I'm running, you know, 180, 200 trips a year, I'm not going to be busy enough to satisfy my desire to talk with others about this stuff. So you can find me and um, contact me at ellisWardFishing.com. Um, Instagram is ellisWardGuides. And YouTube is Ellis Ward Guide Service. And I think at this point I've um, registered enough iterations of Ellis Ward and some sort of phishing to, if, if you just Google me in some capacity, you'll be able to find contact information. And the, the easiest way, the most direct way, easiest way to contact me um, is through text message or a phone call at 513-543-0019. And you know, I've, I've tried to centralize some of the social media stuff. So if it messages go one place or another, they, they all get to me. But um, yeah, the, the fastest way to contact me is through the cell phone. Well, everybody, you heard it here. You've heard it on Instagram. You've heard it on the Articulate Fly, which, by the way, uh, I was talking to one of my buddies on my lunch break. Um, He's one of my fly time buddies. He's really, really good. He does like bespoke flies and um, literally the best tire I know. Um, it, he He's not just like, um, he doesn't just tie to tie. He can tell you exactly why everything is the way it is and exactly why he did this and, you know, all this other stuff. But he, I, I told him, I was like, uh, yeah, I got a podcast tonight because we were talking about tying together. He's like, oh, you, who do you have coming on? I said, I've got Ellis Ward. He said, oh, Ellis, uh, Tennessee. I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah, he does a lot of stuff with the articulate fly and stuff like that. He's like, that's going to be a good show. So, oh, I was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was pretty pretty stoked about that. I was yeah. like, okay, cool, dude. Marv's going to be stoked about that, too. He's, um, you know, he, he's listened to me yap a good deal and is um, pretty excited to help spread the word. He also works with some folks, you know, Mac Brown, lifetime guide out of North Carolina, just super into the casting mechanics. Um, so less, less of the go out and pound a bunch of rainbows. But yeah, that's but another place you can find me though. So, and now on working class fishing. Yeah. Well, everybody, Go follow Ellis, go book a trip, go enjoy these Tennessee rivers because they truly are beautiful and they have some absolutely amazing fish. And you can get a hold of us at workingclassfishing.com or workingclassfishing uh, on Instagram. We're all kind of all over the place, but that's your best chances to actually get a hold of us. Uh, you'll be getting a hold of me. And you can also find me at Morris Flyco on Instagram. And this episode of Working Class Fishing has been brought to you by our wonderful sponsors, CD Fishing USA, Sheer Cure, Naughty Tackle, Anadromous Fly Company, 317 Flies, Angry Rooster, Lid Rig, and Maxon Inflatables. 
go check them out. They've got stuff to, you can, ooh, you can check out our website and they've got codes for pretty much all of our sponsors and uh, they give you pretty good discounts. And just if you actually buy something from them, just let them know that you heard about them from us. It helps them out. It helps us out. And please uh, leave us a five-star review or one-star review or whatever. <laughs> just leave us a review. Uh, feedback's good. And we appreciate everyone listening and the continued support. And please do go follow Ellis and uh, check him out. And until next time, everybody, eat your vegetables and we'll be seeing you.